Friday, February 19th, 2010, upon further review, episode number 75. That's right, it's our 75th anniversary this week, and in honor of our diamond quality show, we're going all big. Big movies, big games, big Legos. We may not have a lot of diamonds to give you, but opinions? Well, we've got those in spades. Okay, upon further review, I'm Greg. I'm Claire. And this is episode number 75 of UFR. We've reached our, what is this? Is this the golden anniversary? What's this? No, it's got to be more than that. Platinum anniversary? <laughs> I don't Titanium, know. Titanium? Like, we could make it up like that, what was it, speed skater or something that gave himself a platinum medal? Oh, no, it was the uh, figure skater, Plushenko, because he lost, and so on the website he had... Uh, was that the guy dressed in the uh, sailor's outfit? I don't know if it was that guy or not. Because yeah, if this... it was, he doesn't deserve any medal. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the Vancouver Winter Olympics, which uh, are in the midst of, I guess they're clo- They're starting to wind down now, but yeah, yeah the, the men's figure skating uh, guy who, had, well, I guess, was the defending Olympic and world champion, lost to this guy, Leachek or Lishachek, or it was, it was a little controversial anyway. So he had won, and on his website it said, uh, bronze in salt, or bronze in Torino, uh, silver in Salt Lake, and then yeah. platinum in <laughs> in uh, Vancouver. Have, like, even designed like a platinum medal. And everyone's like, um, platinum. And then uh, then when there was this big blowback, they removed it. But anyway, yeah. So I don't know. So we're we're not going to try to make up stuff here. I don't know what we are, but whatever the seventy fifth is, we're we're actually at that point. So we've got three things that we've got on the docket to review for today, as usual. So we're going to start by reviewing Assassin's Creed Two. Uh, you'll remember that our last show we reviewed the PlayStation Three, and I had mentioned that I had uh, gotten Assassin's Creed. And that I was going to be reviewing the second one shortly. Well, now I've had a chance to play through a good portion of it, so I feel like I'm ready to, to review that. Then we're going to move on to review something near and dear to our daughter's heart, and possibly the hearts of um, your sons and daughters out there, and that's Legos. Heck, not just your sons and daughters, yeah, maybe I was even say you. you. I mean, yeah, yeah I, you know, heck, I like Lego. I assume lots of people like Lego out there. Mm-hmm. So Lego will be the next thing that we will review, and then we're going to finish by talking about James Cameron's massive, epic. <laughs> I make more money than anyone can imagine. Avatar. After um, spending, I make. Spending more money than... After spending more money. you got to spend it to make it. So he, <laughs> he certainly did that. This movie, which has really taken everything by storm, and we'll talk a little bit about the movie, which I think is still in theaters even now, although finally it's starting it's probably, to... It's, you know, its, it's on its way out at this point. But um, no, it's it was a success, so we'll talk a little bit about that movie as well. Okay, let's get started by talking about Assassin's Creed 2. And you can find the website for this at Assassin's Creed, A-S-S-A-S-S-I-N-S, creed.us and i think if you put that in then the rest of it will happen keep in mind that to get to the actual website you've got to get through about 65 you know sub options well, that's the same thing avatar that's true for avatar also like anything can we just make a note to web designers can you please just have a have a spot where you can just get to your site you know i know you like to do all your little pretty bells and whistles but honestly nobody cares <laughs> everyone just wants to get to the site so they can see what they want to see <laughs> so anyway good lord to go work for youtube or something you know do youtube videos if this is really what you want to do go work for youtube oh, not work for youtube i guess but you know what i mean <laughs> That would be a bit of a downgrade. Put videos on YouTube. Yeah, I guess that's true. (laughs) I guess that's true. I do want to say, though, I think that you're you're probably a bit biased with this game because the game's colors are black and red and gray, Mm -hmm. you know. Which would pretty much sign me up as, you know, because red's my favorite color Mm -hmm. and... 
Plus, he's an assassin, man, you know? Assassin's Creed 2 is the sequel, you're all going to be shocked to this, to Assassin's Creed, which came out a couple of years ago for PlayStation 3. And it's made by the company Ubisoft Montreal. And it's a company which is well known for putting out pretty good quality products. It's the same company that did Prince of Persia, which Clea and I have played before, and which was known for its kind of open environments, uh, your ability to jump from, you know, place to place while doing cool athletic moves in the air and doing all these acrobatic things. And so I think they drew upon a lot of that experience for Assassin's Creed. The premise of the first Assassin's Creed is that you are a member of this mysterious assassin's organization. Your name is Altair, and uh, you're basically you are an assassin. You are given contracts and things like that to carry out on other people. But the sort of shadowy organization that you work for, as it turns out, is fighting an equally shadowy organization run by a group of people known as the Templars. And if you've ever watched any Dan Brown or read any Dan Brown stuff at all, you might get a sense of where this stuff draws its inspiration from. Like, there's a lot of kind of conspiracy theory, you know, church is against and has got some involvement with the government to try to, you know, restrict people's rights by doing this and that because of these magical things that they've got. You know, it's all this, it's a little bit convoluted, more than a little bit convoluted. And it's an interesting story, but I wouldn't say that it's the most, you know, logical plot. Let's just put it that way. But that's not really the point. What really what you're doing in Assassin's Creed is exploring the world, exploring the universe around you in the process of carrying out these missions. Well, Assassin's Creed 1 was a commercial success, but it definitely had some critical limitations because there were things that just didn't work the way that they should have quite as it was supposed to in the game. You know, your character is this incredibly acrobatic athlete in addition to being an assassin. So a lot of the game took place on the roofs of these incredibly detailed Renaissance cities. I believe the first cities were Damascus, Acre, and someplace else. And you would, you know, run across these roofs. Do you do Jerusalem? Uh, Jerusalem. That's right. That's the other one. And you'd like run across roofs and do all these things. It was inspired by the uh, the sport of parkour, which is originally French, and it's free running. So basically trying to get as fast as you can from point A to point B, but doing it in an unusual way. So, you know, leaps, climbing up buildings, you know, jumping from place to place with great balance, things yeah, like if that. If you liked Tomb Raider... But got annoyed that there are certain things you just couldn't do. Yeah. This game's for you because this you game can do anything. Yeah, exactly. He really is an extraordinary, you know, athlete, which is one of the great joys of the game. You can actually enjoy just sort of running over the roofs, you know? Right. And then when you do get involved in combat, you're pretty incredible as a combat guy too. And so that was one of the big appeals. But the problem was that the first game was very repetitive. A lot of people said that it was sort of the same thing over and over and over and over again, and that got tiresome. I actually got it and played through it, mostly in preparation for Assassin's Creed 2, and I'm glad that I did because it meant that I understood a little bit about what was going on with the sort of broader story. And I don't want to spoil it for people, but the broader story involves a sort of modern context as well. I'll just put it that way. And so the nice thing about Assassin's Creed 2 is that you spend most of your time in the sort of renaissance environment, which is where the game really, you know, is the, at its best anyway. Um, do you, does it really even need that modern part? I don't really think so. I mean, I think the modern part is only being done just sort of as like a, to, as part of this conspiracy theory thing, because it's a trilogy, so there's going to be an Assassin's okay. Creed 3, and I assume it's going to be somewhat more modern when that comes out. Anyway, this one sets you in Italy, Renaissance Italy, which I was, I thought that was pretty sweet, following a character named Ezio Auditore, who apparently was an actual figure. One of the cool things about this game is that a 
lot of the people that you meet were actual historical figures. In fact, there's one point where you work for the de Medici family, which of course was a real figure, real you know family in Italy. But at one point, you actually work for that family, and you have to save Lorenzo de Medici at one mo- at one point from this group of people that are trying to kill him. It was part of what was called the Pazzi conspiracy, the Pazzi family. And it turns out, I, l- I looked this up, and actually this happened. Like the Pazzi conspiracy occurred. They did try to attack de Medici. De Medici's brother was killed, but de Medici himself was, you know, saved, although he was injured. Like, this actually happened. So it's pretty neat to actually be living through, you know, actual historical events. Though, of course, you know, the involvement of an assassin who, you know, is as crazy, amazing as Ezio is, is not likely. But everything else is actually there. And like the original, you go through these beautiful city environments as well. Florence, Forli, and then different sections of Venice. And you also, so that's, that's really, you know, beautifully detailed environments. And there's just so many things that you can do in this game that they've even sort of upped the ante. In addition to the stuff that you did in the last game, there's an incredible amount of variety now. What you want to do with your character normally is what happens. You know, there are some moments where there's so many things you could do that the game misinterprets what you're trying to do. So that happens on occasion. But for the most part, you're pretty incredible um, as in terms of what you can do. And you have a series of weapons that you're able to use, which are very easy to access. They all do different things. You can even disarm opponents with their weapons and use it against them, which is really neat. And just the impression I get is that there's that the first game had a few things that people found annoying, but this one really stepped it up in that people... I mean, you don't have to get annoyed, I guess, no. partially because we're getting to the technology now where they really can do a lot of things. Yep. So there's fewer things to get annoyed about. Yep. And there's just a lot of those moments that Clea mentioned Tomb Raider before. When Clea and I first played Tomb Raider, there were a couple of moments in the game where we were like, wow, you know, just something sort of struck us be, as being you really epic. You can pull epic. yourself up to a handstand and do a back over, walk over, but you can't do that. Right. You can't do that in this. <laughs> That's true. We could. No, no, no. I'm saying, but you could do that, but then you couldn't have the character jump up on a step or something. Right, right. But what I meant was that in Tomb Raider, there were moments where you were just in awe of the moment that had been established. Oh, like I you're see. standing on this cliff or you're looking up at this huge statue. Shadow of the Colossus, which we've reviewed on this uh, show before. Shadow of the Colossus, there are these moments where you go, wow, this is such an epic thing. The great thing about this is that it's taken those moments and increased them because, as Clea says, the technology is such that you can do them all over the place. So, you know, there's lots of those moments where you can really feel as if you're part of this story and you're immersed in it, which ultimately is the point of any great game or story. The other good thing about Ezio is that he's really believable as a character. He's likable. You know, he is sort of a rogue and he's mischievous and he, you know, wine, women and song and all that sort of thing. And yet at the same time, he's appealing. You know, you find yourself being drawn towards him. He works with other famous personages. You actually get to work with Leonardo da Vinci, which is pretty cool. And so there's just a lot of those moments that make you connected to him in a way that some people felt they weren't connected to the protagonist of the first game. Altair was this very kind of cool but distant character that you didn't really kind of understand what he was doing, what he was doing. Whereas Ezio, you clearly understand you know, what it is. He was doing. it worth doing the PSP thing before? Yes. Well, so there's also a PSP game that Clea got me for Christmas, and that definitely was. Yes, absolutely, because it sort of filled in the story. It was a game that was set between the first game and this game, and it also allowed me to, you know, find out more information about the sort of backstory and the 
the world around them. Plus, I got some cool weapons for use in this game. If you finish through the PSP game, you connect it to the PS3, and then you get some weapons in the Assassin's Creed 2 game, which I used for a while. So, yeah, no, it was definitely worth it. As I say, the game is not 100% perfect. There are times when the control scheme doesn't work exactly the way you would want it to. There are times when you have so many choices that the game has trouble interpreting, you know, what that is. But that's, it doesn't happen much, and my sense is that we're very close to the point where even that isn't going to occur. Like, I'm not really sure what else they'll be able to do to up the ante. I haven't even mentioned that there's an economy in this game. You have a villa, your uncle's villa, which over time you build up, you know, with sort of, you gain money by assassinations and by stealing money from people and by, you know, looting different places and whatever, and also by buying paintings to sort of improve, you know, so it becomes like a tourist attraction. So that's even another thing on top of that that you can do. There are also uh, tombs, assassins' tombs, that have seals in them, and if you get all of the seals in the tombs, then you get the armor of Altair, which is the best armor in the game. And these tombs are very Prince of Persia slash Tomb Raider-like, where you're doing puzzles and things like that, and those two are neat. And I mean, you're doing these in, like, the Basilico, you're doing these in, like, the equivalent of, like, Vatican City, you know, I mean, they're in these amazing environments. And so... There isn't a whole lot left that they haven't been able to do. And the thing, the annoyances that remain are things that I think they'll be able to correct the next time around, you know, with their third iteration of this game. But in general, I am extremely impressed. It's a game which gives you a lot of attention to detail, which, you know, works both as a game and as a story. And it's a game that just sort of draws you in as it proceeds. Just attention to detail all the way through. I think it's a nine. I think it's great. Mm, okay, I was going to say eight, but you mean obviously you're you're. I'm just watching you play, so I would go with the player over the person watching. Okay, yeah, I would say a nine. I think it's that good, and a lot of people have agreed that it is that good. So, you know, I, I'm we're coming to the party slightly late on that one, but I think it's well worth your time. One big caution: uh, this is the opposite of a family-friendly game. Okay, I mean it's assassinations. There's lots of blood. There's language. I mean, it's not you know, disgusting, but it is no, you know, still, but but it's definitely there. People. You are killing people, and so this is not at all family-friendly in the least. But for an adult player, it is well worth the time so i recommend it highly so nine out of ten for assassin's creed 2 oh and by the way i hope that the next one is in like you know 19th century london that would be cool if you could do that just letting you know ubisoft okay uh next on the docket we have uh lego and you can find lego at shockingly www.legeo.com Lego is, as everybody knows, the plastic toy brick that you can put together with other plastic toy bricks to make, well, just about everything, I think. And I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it's been around for an incredibly long time. I'm not entirely sure why it is that this works as well as it does, Clea. I mean, why it is that, you know, I mean, obviously kids like it, and our daughter Senevine loves Legos, and I loved them when I was a kid, but it's not entirely clear to me why this works better than other other versions that they've come up with, but it just seems well, like they've got the right mix. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, there are some knockoffs that haven't taken off, and so I, I would think maybe because the original design of this still know how to make this continue to work, but in regards to other toys, I mean, it, it can continually develop as society changes, different things that you can make can change. It's flexible in that regard. It's buildable without any mess, really. Yes. You don't need glue. Which which we're here to tell you, if you don't have kids yet, um, that's a big thing. Well, yeah. I mean, but I mean, you did models of buildings and stuff like that. You know, and and this you build it and it won't, 
you know, be torn down, you know, if you sit on it by accident or something like that. That's a good point. So I just think the versatility of it, it's sturdy and I, I think is something that can be fun for all ages because everyone likes to create, you know, that's something that doesn't go away and it's, it's doable. So I guess I, that's really why I think it, it works. It's also, I think that's, I think that's good. I think also, you know, it has bright colors and as you said, it's sort of easy to do. I mean, it's the kind of thing where, you know, people look at it and intuitively understand how to put it together. Whereas the sort of paper models, like I put together the Notre Dame Cathedral and things like that when I was a kid, and those were, you know, a good achievement. I mean, I felt I felt proud of myself when I finished them, but it was definitely the kind of thing which took a good deal of focus and attention. And I think that it wasn't sort of immediately rewarding in the way that this is, you know, with Lego, you can pretty quickly see how something is going to be built and put together. Mm-hmm. And it's, ta- and it's sort and of, there's a, with it. yeah. And there's a tangible quality to it. And of course it's also tapped into things where you can either get a bunch of Legos that just allow you to do whatever, or you can do any of the number of things that they've created. Like they have Batman mm-hmm. Lego. They have, you know, we've reviewed the video game, Lego star Wars. They obviously have star Wars Legos. We have a new one. They saw though called Atlantis. So they actually have this like squid guy with a mm-hmm. tri, but he's Lego even, squid guy. You know? I think it's even tactilely um, satisfying. That's what. I, yeah, that was the word I was saying. Tangible. I meant tactile. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it feels good to hold on to and kind of and to put one into another. Mm-hmm. And there's a solidity to it too. Like when it's built, you don't feel like it's just going to fall apart. I mean, right. you can't throw it around the room, but it's not like if you know it gets a bit of water on it or something, something's going to happen to it. Right. And there's sort of an admiration I think that people have for real Lego experts. And there are Lego experts that have recreated like the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Legos or part of the Great Wall of China in Legos or you know these these incredible buildings and you know structures and you would never think about it as being Lego and then you see it and you're like, "Wow, that's really neat." Mm-hmm. Look, the entire Death Star in Legos, you know, stuff like that. Um, the Taj Mahal is the new thing. The Taj Mahal in Legos, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over yeah. Christmas. And also, it's not super expensive. I mean, obviously, you can get tons and tons and tons of sets, mm-hmm. but it's reusable, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get something, you put something together, you can take it down and get... You, you may want to get else. more pieces to, to sort of get more ambitious, but it's not like you are in some kind of an arms race, which happens with a lot of kids' toys, where mm-hmm. you've put this together, now buy this and put this together. An you arms know. race. That's what, well, so you know what it was? Someone referred that to me when I was talking about a game to someone, and they're oh, like, so God. this isn't an arms race like magic. And it's wow. true. Arms race is a good example. Here, you don't have to out-buy someone to have fun with what it is that you're doing. All right. Um, I'd so. say a nine. Yeah, again, we're we're like super high this time, but I mean, hey, what can you say? It, it just does what it's supposed to do. It always has. It's durable. It's apparently non-toxic, I hope. As far as I know. <laughs> Is it? Yes, I mean, last time I heard, okay. Yes. I don't see too many kids... You know, coming down with problems it, from moving like, Legos. You know, I mean, it's definitely... You have to pay attention... Um, to the box about which age is for what. And they have a little one called Duplo, which is for like little kids. And then I think that's actually what she has, isn't it? Is Duplo? Well, she has one thing of Duplo and one thing of like standard. Of standard Legos. Okay. And then as you get older, then you can sort of upgrade. The Duplo is the really big one. Yeah. The like massive blocks. And then as you get older, you can sort of upgrade. I think it's notable that every doctor's office slash, you know, anything that has even remotely something to do with kids has got like a supply of Legos in store, which I think shows you how valuable this stuff is. We bought our car that's what the dealership had in the back yep. was a lego table with a bunch of legos which centipede loved and oh, was yeah, playing she with. sat there for a long time yep so i definitely uh, i agree with clea i would say nine out of ten for legos this is good stuff and uh you know and if lego you happen to hear this review and you want to send us um mm-hmm. some more some our, our more daughter samples. will be happy to review um more <laughs> of that for you it could be centipede's first review yeah absolutely her review would be like hasta lego that'll be her review <laughs> so anyway nine out of ten for lego check it out 
Okay, last thing on the docket for tonight is the movie Avatar, uh, James Cameron's massive epic. You Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. I became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Navi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war, and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it you get your legs back. Your real legs. Oh, yes, yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. And you can find this at www.avatarmovie.com, A-V-A-T-A-R-M-O-V-I-E.com. You can find it there once you get through 75 introductory screens, um, oh, but God. eventually you'll get there. It is a bit redundant, though. Massive epic, isn't it? A bit. It, yeah, I guess that is. I guess that is sort of redundant. But this is massive, though, beyond just it being is epic. An epic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because okay. because of the undertaking, it is part live action, but a lot of the movie is animated and it's sort of you know motion know. capture it feels, stuff. It feels kind of half half to me. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe, I think they definitely maybe seventy five percent, twenty five percent, and it's seamless. The yes. back and forth feels very seamless and and well done in that regard. Part of the reason I think for the epicness of it is the fact that they were trying to do something which is very ambitious. I mean, Cameron Cameron never thinks small, right? I mean, this is the guy who did Titanic. This is the guy who did Terminator 2, which at the time was the most expensive movie ever made. I mean, you know, Cameron, every time he walks into a studio, you've got to think the execs are looking at each other like, oh my God. But he always delivers. And I think this movie cost something like half a billion dollars to make, if I'm not mistaken. But he's going to shatter, if he hasn't already, I think he has already shattered the records for the biggest grossing movie of all time. And when you then add in DVD sales, which are going to come down the pike and everything else, he will, it'll be the number one grossing movie ever, beating his own previous record. So mm-hmm. Avatar follows the actions of a Marine who has been somehow wounded in battle so that he's a paraplegic. He's unable to move. Actually, quadriplegic. Um, he's in a wheelchair. Right. No, no, paraplegic because he has use of his arms. He's a paraplegic. Right. And so he comes to this planet because there's a program called the Avatar Program in which the DNA from natives has been harvested so as to make, basically create these bodies, these native bodies, which are authentic. Um, and all they require is somebody to mentally control them. And so they have a device that allows you to basically use them as your avatar. You're in this machine, and then you're able to control uh, sort of running around, moving, raising one's arms, you know, jumping around, and that sort of thing. And normally what they have done is gotten scientists to do this, because scientists, you know, are the ones who develop the program, and they understand it. The difference with the main character is that he's actually a former Marine, so he's got a sort of soldier well, sensibility. It's, his, it's that his father, um, his, his brother, died. 
Right, he that's t- right. He was brought in because he's close to the DNA, so they're hoping not to have to scrap his avatar. That's right, that's right. So yeah, he that's was right. Brought in. So he was brought in because of the closeness of his DNA to his brothers. And beyond that, the sort of overall conflict on this planet, which is called Pandora, by the way, not very subtle, uh, you know, hint. Uh, oh, there's nothing subtle. No, we'll get back movie. to the whole not subtle thing in a minute. <laughs> on Pandora, there is this battle between the natives who are called the Navi and these, you know, big bad, you know, people from Earth, this corporation from Earth, which is trying to harvest, get ready for it unobtainium yes that's the name of it unobtainium the mineral um because it's this big energy source and earth you know is dying and needs basically this energy source so that's essentially what's going on and uh he's been summoned uh, this guy has been brought here to do this so they don't talk very much about how earth is dying and why do they no they don't okay because it's just this sense that corporations are doing bad things and that's right. why we don't like corporations and you know i like the guy that played the top corporate guy but i don't feel he was the right person for that role hmm. it, uh, he just still see, is, i don't know if it's still he's done too many things where he's young or he just still he seemed a bit and it just didn't work for me it was a role that i thought somebody like um i don't know kevin spacey might or, or might even have been more fitted for or something I, like that i don't that. know what it, i mean i just felt that it needed to be a slightly older person yeah could be um but i guess maybe they wanted that that younger part you know you do have a lot of upstart young people in corporate you know that they'd they know how to make the tough decisions kind of thing, but they're still young, and so they they still can make mistakes. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the rest of the acting, I thought, uh, acting choices were, were pretty good. And I think it goes without saying that the computer technology, bouncing off a little bit from Assassin's Creed and how wonderful what they're able to do now is, obviously, with Avatar, it, was, it surpasses even that a little bit. Yep. The main guy, uh, the guy who plays the main role, Jake Sully, who's the soldier, is a guy named Sam Worthington. And the ones that you're more likely to know, the one that we were referring to, I believe, is, um, is it Stephen Lang is the one... That, no, not Stephen No, Lang. although you've seen Stephen Lang. Giovanni Ribisi, that's who it is. But uh, the people that you're more likely to know are Zoe Saldana, who's the one who played Uhura on uh, the last on the Star Trek movie, which we reviewed in here. And then Sigourney Weaver, obviously, from like everything, including Alien and you know a bunch of other these movies. I didn't she realize plays this, but I well. guess she's like the queen of sci-fi. I didn't well, realize that. Well, you know, Cameron is not totally up even on all sci-fi, but I know what he means. Yeah, like she's sort of the character. She's the the female figure you think of who's most closely related to science fiction, I guess. Right. So um, I guess that's partially the reason that she was. Yep. That she was chosen. And it was also, we reviewed Wally last show. She was also right. the voice of the computer in Wally. So, so I think the cast did a good job with it. And I, one of the reasons that I think they did a good job is what I found most technologically impressive about this movie was not so much the incredible environments. Because, frankly, you know, there's a lot of amazing environments. There were amazing environments in Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't, that was not something that I went, oh, wow, incredible. What I found incredible was the facial expressions, the mm-hmm. details on the computer animated, um, you know, motion capture faces is extraordinary and they do a good job of fitting the sort of face of the avatar you know i mean it has to be obviously it's a, it's a native creature so it's not you know not like earth you know human beings exactly but there are a lot of similarities in their expressiveness to human expressions and i would say it was pretty close you know there's not that problem you have where there's sort of the dead face because it's hard to do facial expressions mm-hmm. properly games have been working on this for years i think they're really really close now and this movie sort of demonstrates that where you don't really have have lots of moments where you feel at least i didn't pulled out of it where i was like yeah. you know no this is i'm watching a computer game or something like that yeah. um as clea said it was really seamless between live action and computer generated stuff 
And so that was pretty amazing. I mean, as a technological achievement, there's no question that this movie is way, you know, leaps and bounds beyond anything which has been done before. Yeah, um, so much so that it's worth seeing regardless that the plot and is obvious and other things are right, not subtle. I mean, it's it's not a new concept at all. No. There's lots of things pulled from all it's sorts of It's Dances with Wolves in Space. I mean, other people that's have said this, said, but yeah. that's really what it is. Uh, Dances with Wolves in Space. It, it, it's numerous things in space. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> not, not yeah. Blah, 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 blah. In space. <laughs> I mean, it, really. But, you know... If you don't find that kind of thing annoying, just inherently and can't stand anything, then it's still worth seeing because it is so beautiful. It is so well done. And it is kind of fun to go and immerse yourself in such... I mean, I did actually think that the world was quite beautiful. I do find that everything's energetically connected concept wonderful personally. And then to see it so wonderfully created in this world, I mm-hmm. think, is worth seeing. Well, there was... I mean, remember, there's been even been people who they've discussed there have been problems, psychological problems for some people who went to see this movie and then are depressed, kind of returning to the reality of the world around them. And if, you know, yeah, like... that happened to me with Lord of the Rings, too, so... I guess that's true. But you were drawn into the story, whereas these people were drawn into the world. Like, you know, the the world wasn't rich enough for them. And I, you know, or the new, I mean, our real world wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so there have been some people talking about dealing with that. So that's yeah. a demonstration, I think, of how effective it is. I mean, the, the big problem is it is it is beautiful technologically. The problem that I have with it is it's 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 painfully obvious, painfully and even the sort of, you know, big faceless corporation versus the, you know, the, uh, you know, native sort of part of the land. I mean, first of all, guess who you're supposed to root for. And then, you know, guess who, you know, obviously is going to do something to the natives. I mean, it's just, it's so painfully obvious that I found myself wincing at times. Like, I mean, honestly, it's 2009. And uh, when the movie first came out, it's 2009. And we're still kind of going over this stuff. I mean, it, so it I, you know, unobtainium, I mean, please, <laughs> You know, the, I even I found it felt um, kind of Final Fantasy, um, oh yeah, ish where they go and they they destroy the area where well God is so long ago I don't even remember it, but well, we, the area where the, all the, the energy was coming from and and this was the same thing it's like okay yeah I know please you know right you can yeah see of course it happening obviously that the, that the our military is going to screw up and destroy this awful thing and so that is a bit kind of like oh do we really have to do you really have to show this to us can you just let us not have to see this because we've been there we've done that we know yes it's awful we be, we believe it can we yeah. just move on now yeah I agree and I, um, I've, I found it just the, the, the obviousness of it is really frustrating and you might say well you know that's because I mean it's targeted towards children I mean you know it's not really a kid's oh, movie. No, 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 I mean, no. there's it's there's like, moments of violence. I mean, it's so I'm not entirely sure. It's probably designed for a kind of broad based audience. No, that, no, no. It's just standard Hollywood. It's yeah. just standard Hollywood doing this, singing the same notes. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's and, just it's just it's sort just of these obvious tear jerker moments, which are a little frustrating. Yeah, a little and, hard of hearing them. Though. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And I, yeah, I mean, I just kind of came away from it being like, oh come on. So that to me detracts from the movie. I think the story is is right, so obvious instant, that it undercuts it. Right, but, but in this instance when you see it so beautifully portrayed with this computer graphics you're able to overlook it because you go I agree. You, you see you see a story that you already know what's going to happen but then you see it you know manifest in such a great way you go oh my god that is so good. i agree which is- but you know you're, you can only do that once right you know it's, it's why like, going to see it in the theater by the way is so important or at least if you've got like a massive tv like you're the one this is for because i don't know how this is going to translate to a small screen my sense is that mm-hmm. part of what makes it work is i mean we saw it we didn't see it in imax did we we saw it in yeah, we, th- did. we did we saw it in imax 3d so that's cool but even beyond the whole 3d effect which i didn't think was 
that wasn't a big deal for me. But even if you don't yeah, see it in IMAX, seeing it in a big screen, I think, is important. Like, this is one of those movies that translates, you know, much better to the large environment that it's reflecting. So yeah, you get Alice in Wonderland coming out in 3D. Um, why? What is the point of 3D? Hey, that's only the first step about what's the point of Alice in Wonderland coming out. But well, anyway, that's, that's for that, another but show. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, I think if I put it together, I would give that, like, I would give Avatar, like, a 6 out of 10. Really? Um, wow, great. I just Jeez. thought this, I just, I'm, I can't get over the story. I'm Ouch. sorry. Technological achievement is ne- pretty graphics are never going to override a story for me. And the story Ouch. was painful. Speak um, the writer, the true writer. <laughs> It's oh, worth seeing. Man. I mean, that's what it's at least up to a seven. All right. Okay. For the achievement. Fine. So it's For a seven, but <laughs> it's a seven. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I do, I do think you should go see it. I just don't think you're going to go there and go. This, this is God's gift to cinema, which is the way that it's been advertised. Mm. It's not that amazing mm-hmm. in terms of the story, but it is an amazing technological achievement. No question about okay, that. Okay. So we'll give it a seven and a platinum medal. Someone said, you know, this is like dances with wolves. If it were animated, if it were the polar express. You know, (laughs) and I was like, oh, no, I never saw that. But I heard lots of people annoyed about that. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll say a seven out of ten. Definitely worth your time to go see. And, you know, if you can see it in the theaters, Um, maybe if it's out of the theaters, by the time you hear this, there'll be like little art cinemas or something. That's I really would like to hear people's point of view on 3D. I really don't see the point of it at all. Yeah, it hasn't worked so far. I feel and, and like we I saw, saw Superman in 3D and that didn't work either. I don't see. I mean, and I saw it when it was cap when it first came out, Captain Nemo mm-hmm. at Disneyland with um, the late Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. Yeah. But ever since then, I have really not seen any point to it at all. See, I'm going to date IMAX, myself. I, I, I see the point to IMAX, but 3D, I really don't see it. And it's annoying. These stupid glasses. I'm going to date myself. Uh, first 3D I ever saw was the original Nintendo system Rad Racer where it was just um, sort of weird 3D red images. And all I remember about that is that you got a headache. So it was like yeah. the effect of being in a car. So it's like you are there having a headache. But, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> well, maybe that's really what it's like. You know, you got a reality hurts, yeah. Greg. You know, we're, we're living in 3D, man. Why do we need 3D? Th- I, I just don't get the point of it at all. Anyway, worth seeing 7 out of 10. So okay. that's going to do it for us for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to us. Continue, please, to send us suggestions for review and leave comments and all that kind of wonderful stuff. Until then have a wonderful couple of weeks and we will see you guys soon upon further review i'm greg i'm clea see you soon the proceeding was a presentation of upon further review hosted at www.furtherreview.net as usual all rights are reserved if you liked what you heard please vote for us at podcastalley.com vitalpodcast.com and add us to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com you can leave us a comment at www.furtherreview.net, drop us a line at a pawn at furtherreview.net, or give us a phone call or send a fax to 206-339-UFR1. That's 206-339-8371. And lastly, don't be afraid to express your opinions. We know you have them. Let them out. Feel the power. Or you could just blindly accept whatever we tell you is fact. That'll work.
That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo.